Welcome to church again. I'm going to kind of lay out this morning because it's a little different in the message. We finished our series Hope last week. This Sunday, we're finishing another series. Come on, somebody. Not a one-part series, but we're finishing a series from six months ago. So cast your mind back to March, right? Everybody, everybody remember March before we had quarantine and kind of went to church online only uh, in March. We had started a series called Solomon, a character study on Solomon. And we did week one and week two and week three, we went online and we just went in a different direction because that's what the church, what we needed to do in that season. But today we are finishing the Solomon series. Come on. I know you're super excited about that. So if you remember 10 years ago when we started the Solomon series, uh, if you took notes, come on, this is a good plug for notes. You would remember what we talked about, but I'm going to catch you up on parts one and part two so that you can finish the series on the same page. But go ahead and grab out your Bible and your notes. You're going to learn from your mistakes in the past. And we're going to take some notes in part three of Solomon. Because if you're new to victory, we believe in taking notes. I believe that in the journey we take with God in our spiritual journey, some things will jump off the page to us. And it's my prayer that something comes alive to you. One or two things today that really speaks to you. And you jot those things down. Because if you're like me, you forget it before you get to the car. That's just my mentality. And so we write those things down and we reference them in our spiritual journey. We can reference those things. But to refresh your memory for all you non-note takers out there, we talked about King Solomon, the wisest king to ever live. Our theme verse was out of 1 Kings chapter 10. The Bible tells us that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth, and that kings from all the whole world came to seek audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. And so King Solomon, the wisest king to ever live, teaches us some lessons, not only about walking with God, but about the wisdom God put in his life. But also today we're going to talk about how he didn't start that way. He didn't start with wisdom in his heart. God had to put it in. So week one, we talked about how he had this, this kind of, I would say, uh, unorthodox showing to the people. Because his father, David, when he presented Solomon, he presented him as soft and untested. He said, here's your new king, everybody. I don't really know how it's going to go, but everybody give it up for Solomon. And there's Solomon standing up on the podium, right? This is his new, he's been introduced as soft and untested. He doesn't know what he's doing, but now it's his chance to try to learn that. So he has to go through this, this process to figure out how to step into the role that God has for him. And so we talked about that. And then in week two, we talked what he did about that, how he prayed that God would give him wisdom. Solomon had this unique opportunity to ask God for anything that he wanted. God appeared to him and said, ask me of anything. He could have asked for riches. He could have asked for fame. But Solomon asked God for wisdom to govern God's people. And so God loves this request. So he gives him the wisdom, but he also gives him all the other things too. He gives him the fame and he gives him the, he gives him the riches. He gives him all the things that he didn't even ask for. And he gives him the wisdom to do his job. And so today we're going to talk about how then Solomon was launched into the destiny that he had in God. So he had his start, right, as the untested king, and then he had this chance to get wisdom from God, and his wisdom was renowned around the world. But then we're going to see now how he steps into the calling that God has for him, how he fulfills this one major thing that God has for him to do, and that is to build the temple. And he does all of this through relationships. In fact, here's the thought, if you jot it down, if you're taking notes today, here's the thought for this morning's sermon, and that is the relationships that you choose are going to determine the legacy that you leave. 
The relationships that you choose will determine the legacy that you leave. And if we have a little problem with the screens, just bear with us today. We're working out some stuff. I take responsibility, by the way. Our team is incredible in the back. I messed some things up this week, and so we're still working through those. So if we clear the prop layer here or we do things on the screen, just bear with us. All right, everybody? You can read one or the other, all right? You can suffer with us for one Sunday. But the relationships that you choose are determining. In fact, one study says that you are the average of your five closest relationships. How many don't like that? Come on, somebody. You are the average in your finances, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your, in your finance, in all the things that you do in your life. You are the average of the five closest relationships to you. Even your spirituality and your career. In all these things, they're shaped by your environment, which is shaped by the relationships that you choose. It's an incredible decision that we need to make that a lot of us don't take seriously. You're shaped by it. In fact, I had a professor tell us this story in college one time uh, before our first paper was due. He said that there were five guys, five friends who had a final exam coming up and they were kind of all together in the same class. And so they decided the exam was on Monday. They decided that on uh, that Friday and Saturday and Sunday, that instead of staying at the school and studying like good college kids should do, they would go out partying together. They said, we kind of got a grasp on the material. We can handle this. So they made a pack together and they went out all weekend long partying. And Monday morning rolled around and they slept through their class. And so they got together, right? They all woke up about noon and they got together and said, we have to go see the professor. And so they went together and they kind of made this story. And so they went to him and they said, professor, is there any way we can retake the exam? Because, you know, the five of us, we were, well, over the weekend, we went to this town over and we kind of spent time at the retirement community, you know, spending time playing games with the old folks and really ministering to them. And on our way back, we had a flat tire. And so we didn't have a spare. And, you know, it, it, we had to hitch our way back to the college and we didn't make it in time for the exam. Is there any way we can retake it? The professor said, that's no problem. Come tomorrow. And so they're so excited, they're elated, they get to retake this exam. So Tuesday rolls around and they all show back up. And the professor said, I'm going to put you in five separate rooms and let you take the exam. And so all of them got the paper right, they got it out and he handed it to them. And they, they put it in front of them, got their pen. And the first question, easiest thing in the world, one of the easiest questions off the syllabus, they all answers it lightning fast for five points. And they're thinking, we are going to crush this. And they flip the paper over on the back and for 95 points, the professor asked, which tire was flat? Your life is being shaped by the four knuckleheads that you have in the car. All right, everybody, I'm just saying. And so we're going to look at Solomon's life today and we're going to see that there were some relationships. There was one in particular that shaped the destiny that Solomon would leave. There was a relationship that shaped it. And then later on in his life, Solomon started to get it wrong. And there were relationships that then tried to destroy his legacy. And so we're going to take a look at how important these relationships are because the relationships you choose will determine the legacy that you leave. So we'll talk about how they impact and how important. The first alliance actually started with Solomon's father. We'll pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 5. In 2 Samuel chapter 5 it said, The king Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons and they built David a palace. And then David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel. He realized it and he blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And so David realized this. David, as a young king, he's taking over the kingdom from King Saul. And it's this tragic time in the nation. And all this is happening is chaos. And he's a little insecure about his leadership. 
David is a little insecure about how firm his government was, about how if he was really called to be the king, if he was really truly the one God wanted. And so God strategically sends this guy, King Hiram of Tyre. He's going to be our main character in the first half of this sermon. He strategically sends him to build David a palace. And when he does, the Bible says David realized that word realize means come to know. It means become aware of or to discern. He realizes. So David's a little unsure, but now he realizes, okay, God has established me as the king. God has established me. God really is with me. I'm supposed to be it. And actually that the kingdom is more secure than I think it is. And so David has this moment. And the first thing, if you're taking notes today, jot it down, that friends should do is they should affirm your calling. They should affirm your calling. The relationships we choose, the people you surround yourself with should be able to see the calling of God on your life. They should be able to see that God has placed greatness inside of you. They should be able to affirm that. Because the reality is all of our relationships are either us pushing us towards God's destiny for us or pulling us from it. All the relationships that we have, there's really no middle ground in the close relationships we choose to have. They're either pushing you towards your destiny or they're pulling you from it. And so as you evaluate your relationships, begin to ask yourself, are they making me better? Are they pushing me towards God? Are they pulling me away? Are they affirming the call that God has on my life? Because you have to have people in your life. Oftentimes we surround ourselves with people who constantly call out and tell us just to, to give up or to not go after God or to be in mediocrity because that's what they're okay with. But so often we have to choose relationships that push us towards the legacy God has for us. You need people in your life that are going to begin to say, yes, you can be an amazing father. Or yes, you're going to be an incredible mother. Or yes, you can start that company. And yes, you can do this for God. You can step out in faith. I believe God has greatness for you. You have to begin to evaluate the relationships, who you're allowing to speak into your life. Because too many of us have critics that constantly tell us things and constantly try to get us to give up. Too many of us surround ourselves with those who are trying to tell us we shouldn't even try. And I wonder for how many of you will slip into eternity and will look back and see the things God wanted us to do and realize we came up short. It's one of the greatest fears of my life that we would look back and see all the things that he had for us and realize we came up short because we surrounded ourselves with people who drove us to give up. We didn't let the right voices speak into a set of people who affirm the call God has for us. I wonder how many of you are at a breaking point. And I say it's a breaking point. I wonder how many of you are at that point of you're about ready to give up. And if you surround yourself, you need to have people who speak into your life, who affirm, yes, God has a call for you. And here at Victory, I'll be that person. I believe God has an incredible call for your life. I believe God is going to pull greatness out of you. Stuff that you don't even realize is going to happen. God has amazing things for you to do. And if you need relationships like that, I encourage you, get into small groups. We don't do this just because it's something fun we can add to the church calendar. We have small groups because relationships are one of the most important things you can do. And we want to get them right. So you have to have people that speak into your life. People that say, yes, you are made for greatness. Yes, God has a plan for you. We begin to affirm the call God has on your life. Second thing that friends do for us is they assist your vision. They assist your vision. Once you have a call of God on your life, something you've called to do, this vision for how it's going to unfold. Solomon has this vision of what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to build the temple. He's been told by his father. He's been told by God that he's supposed to build the temple. And Hiram plays a tremendous role in that. So we see King Hiram show up again. We'll go to 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Solomon decides to build the temple to honor the name of the Lord and also a palace for himself. And so Solomon sent this message to King Hiram at Tyre. Verse 3, send me cedar logs as you did for my father, David, when he was building his palace. And I'm about to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. It will be a place set apart to burn fragrant incense before him. 
to display the sacrificial bread and to sacrifice burnt offerings in morning and evening. He says on the Sabbath that the new moon celebrations, the other appointed festivals of the Lord our God. He said, I'm going to build this incredible temple. And so send me a master craftsman. So Solomon writes to King Hiram. He says, I'm going to do all these things because our God is the greatest on the planet. He's the only God worthy of worship. I'm going to build this temple. So send me all the logs that you sent to my father, David. Send me all the cedar and all the timber and then send me a master craftsman. And watch this in verse 8. He said, also send me cedar and cypress and red sandalwood logs from Lebanon. For I know that your men are without equal at cutting timber. And I will send my men to help them. And watch this. In payment for your woodcutters, I'll send 100,000 bushels of crushed wheat, 100,000 bushels of barley, 110,000 gallons of wine. Oh, sorry, go back. And 110,000 gallons of olive oil. Now, I just want to pause here for a second and say to all of you Christian business people, all right, all you Christian business people that don't ask other Christian business people for things for free. Come on, somebody. All you business owners say amen. Because there's this tendency, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Come on, brother. It drives me crazy. Don't be a slimy Christian business person. Stuff costs money, all right, everybody? Stuff costs money. All the business owners say amen. All the rest of you kind of sinking lower in your seat, all right, today? Stuff costs money. It does, all right? It's not a write-off, Kramer. Don't just, you know, just write it off. Verse 11. So King Hiram sent this in reply to Solomon. It's because the Lord loves his people that he's made you their king. So he affirms the call again. King Hiram's this great guy. I am sending you a master craftsman named Hiram Abi. Watch this. This guy is a straight baller. He can do anything. Who is extremely talented? So watch what Hiram Abi can do. In the next verse, it says that Hiram Abi is counted. He's skillful at making things from gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And he also works with stone and wood. All right? He also works with stone and wood. And watch this. He also works with purple, blue, scarlet cloth, fine linen. And he's an engraver and can follow any design that's given to him. This guy can do anything. And then he'll work with the craftsmen that you appointed by my Lord David, your father. He will cut whatever timber you need from the Lebanon mountains and will float the logs in rafts down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa. And so he says, we'll do all the things that you need, Solomon. I'm going to send you here in my So if you really study the story, King Hiram is the one who has all the supplies. And King Hiram is the one who really has all the expertise. And King Hiram is the one who really sends all the men. But we say that Solomon built the temple. We say that Solomon is the one who built the temple, that that was the anointing God had on his life. But at the end of the day, David really had the vision for the temple and David raised all the money to build the temple and David had the blueprints for the temple. And King Hiram had all the supplies and the expertise and then Hiram Abi was the engraver and yet somehow Solomon still gets all the credit. Here's what I want you to see. When God gives you a dream, when God gives you a vision or something to accomplish with your life, it's always bigger than what you can do on your own. And I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to encourage you this morning about relationships. Because when God gives you a vision for your life, it's always bigger than what you can accomplish on your own. And so you're going to have to look for those relationships that God is also bringing to accomplish the vision. And Solomon recognized this. He writes to King Hiram. Solomon's not out in the woods with an axe trying to get down the cedar trees. All right. He writes to King Hiram. He recognizes the strategic relationships that he needs to take advantage of. That he needs to have in his life. We wouldn't be anywhere close. You ask anybody who has walked with God. Anybody who has accomplished things for God. Would not be anywhere close to where they are without their relationships. Without the people God placed in their life. If they say it differently, it is a lie. It is a lie. If, if Whatever we have accomplished because of the people God has placed in our lives. And I wonder for your life, how much could you accomplish? How much could further could you get if you had the right people that God wants to align you with? How much more could you do for the kingdom of God if you picked your relationships correctly? 
if you actually took some time to choose them. Because the ones that we're going to have will assist the vision that God has for our life. Third thing that they do is they call you out on your stuff. Watch this. They address your shortcomings. It's going to get quiet in here. All right, everybody. It's going to get they address. They speak to areas that you may be falling short. I love this in chapter nine of first Kings. He says it took Solomon 20 years to build the Lord's temple and his own royal palace. At the end of that time, he takes 20 towns and he gives them in the land of Galilee to King Hiram. He gives them to his buddy, King Hiram, 20 towns to kind of say thank you and watch Hiram shows up. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the town Solomon had given him, he was not at all pleased with them. What kind of towns are these, bro? He asked him, right? What are you trying to give me? So he said, so Hiram said, I'm going to call this area Kabul. And you don't even need the translation to know what Kabul means. Come on, somebody. But they give it to you. It means worthless. He said, I'm going to call these towns worthless because Solomon, you are a bad gift giver. You may be wise and you may be the smartest man who ever lives, but you are not good in the area of gift giving. How many of you would admit you were not good in the area of gift giving? Anybody would admit that today, right? Confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation. Anybody? I am bad at gift giving. I'll just lay that out there right now. If you ever get a gift and it's only from me, it is going to be a bad gift. I don't, I don't think about what people want. I don't care. Usually I give cash. Come on, somebody. It's just the easiest thing. I'm a bad at gift. In fact, my family loves to tell the stories of how bad I am at gift giving. One Christmas, I gave IOUs, someone, somebody, and they got, they woke up Christmas morning to a little card that said, I owe you one present. And I don't think I ever got them that present. So what are you going to do, right? It's just, it's just the way it is. It expired, expires one year after you write it. I am bad, but my wife is good at gift giving. And so I married up. Come on, somebody. How many married up? I, and so now she is making up for all those years of bad gift giving. She knows what people want and how their interest and all the stuff. And I don't care. I'm just like, can't we give them cash? And it's a, we're, still, we're still working that one out. All right, everybody. But King Hiram tells Solomon, you are bad at gift giving. I love that he can call him out on this. That he's not like, oh, thank you for the towns. And they're just great. I just love them so much. No, he can speak to King Solomon. And a lot of us need a friend in our life that can speak the truth to us. Because a lot of times we're not even aware that we're bad in that area. We're not even aware that we have shortcomings in those areas. Come on, I am perfect. I don't need to be aware. It's not like we say, oh, I know I'm bad. I'm just going to ignore that part of my life. Oftentimes, we're not even aware. We don't even realize it. But we need someone in our life, a friend who's close enough to say, hey, you know what? You don't do that right. You know what? You don't speak to people right. You know what? You're not treating your wife right. Hey, you're not treating your kids right. You're not, you're not, you're kind of flying off the handle at everybody. You're losing your temper a lot. You're not, you're not acting correctly. You don't handle your money very well. Come on, somebody. We need friends in our life who could say, hey, you're always late to everything. You're not treating people with respect. You got to have those. And our response to those kind of friends is never thank the Lord for you. Just praise God that God sent me you to tell me that in my life. No. What's our response? That's not true. That thing you said, that's not true. I don't do that. And then when the pain subsides, we begin to realize that, hey, that is an area of my life. And we're thankful for those relationships most of the time. Come on, somebody. We're thankful that God has sent us those people to address our shortcomings that call us out on our stuff. In fact, the Bible says the wounds of a friend can be trusted. You know what you can't trust? You know what Proverbs said you can't trust? It says that the the enemy, the kisses of the enemy are multiplied. Solomon wrote that, by the way. He understood that principle. Only your enemy kisses you all the time. Only your enemy tells you you look amazing in every outfit. Only your enemy tells you you are crushing life in every area. Those are not your friends, everybody. Your friends are the ones who are willing to tell you the truth in order for you to grow. 
You got to have people who will call you out on your shortcomings. We need those relationships in our lives. The last one is they alter our potential. The right relationships will alter our potential. I believe your relationships are shaping how much you'll be able to accomplish with your life. You say, well, I always wish I could do more. I always wish the lid was a little higher. I always wish the ceiling would be pushed a little bit more. Your relationships are altering your potential. They're either increasing it or they're decreasing it. They're altering what you're able to accomplish. And some of us may live far beneath the lid that God created us for because we're allowing our relationships to keep us from there. And yet there are others of us who excel far beyond we could ever imagine looking just at ourselves. We excel far beyond whatever we thought we could accomplish because of the right relationships. I pray it's true for you. It happened for King Solomon and this relationship with Hiram. Watch this. Solomon also built, this around the same time, a fleet of ships at hard word. Come on, somebody. That's a hard word right there. At Port near Eloth. You know, you don't have to read and pronounce every word in the Bible, right? You can just say hard word. You can just kind of say, that'll set you free in the Old Testament. Come on, somebody. Hard word, hard word. Habakkuk, hard word, hard word. That'll set you free. Somebody needs that today. So Solomon built some ships at hard word. A port near Elath in the land of Eden along the shore of the Red Sea. And Hiram sent experienced crews of sailors to sail the ships with Solomon's men. And they sailed to Ophir and brought back to Solomon some 16 tons of gold. Now here's what's happening. The children of Israel are shepherds by nature. This is what's been passed down to them all the way back to Abraham. They take care of the cattle and the sheep. And so they're shepherds. But since they've come to the promised land, they've had to pick up a new trade. Now they're farmers. And so they kind of branched out into that. And so they're, they're kind of trying to diversify, right? They have a couple of things going for them. They're taking care of the cattle, but they're also farming. But they have never sailed before. All right. They've never been on ships before. And so this relationship of Hiram, Hiram by nature, you read about him in the Bible from Tyre. He is a trader. He goes to foreign dignitaries, foreign nations. He trades things. He brings back gold. He does all this stuff to, to bring riches. He knows what he's doing. And so he has all the knowledge. Come on. It's a theme that seems to be happening in Solomon's life. Hiram knows how to do all of these things. And so we see Solomon trying to diversify now. So Solomon builds these ships. He's trying to do this new thing that Israel's never done. And Hiram comes to him and decides, okay, I'm going to mentor you in this area as well. I think Hiram's a good dude. Come on, somebody. Because you never would break into this kind of thing without a relationship. You never break out into that. And some of you in businesses and things that God has called you to do, this mentorship that Hiram brings to Solomon is incredible. This thing that he teaches him. Because you can't, without somebody leading you, without a relationship, it's not like Solomon can just build the boats, right? And get a bunch of people and put them on the boats and say, now go out in the water and bring back money. Like, that, that's not how it works. You can't, if you've never sailed before, there's, that's a whole skill to itself, which is like, you know, a thing that you have to learn. And then you have to know what you have that people would even want to trade for. I think sometimes we read these and we just kind of skip over these parts. As a nation, Israel doesn't even know where to go to trade. And so Hiram comes in. He knows the ports. He knows where to send. He sends his sailors to help him chart the course. And then you have to find your way back. So you don't get eaten by the pirates of the Caribbean. Come on, somebody. You got to find your way. You got to find your way safely back to port. And so Hiram does all of this for them. For Solomon, he says, let me lead you on this. Let me help you diversify. You want to step out into trading? I'll help you there too. So he sends his sailors. And the Bible says they returned. Watch this back in that verse. They returned with some 16 tons of gold. And so if you read the verses, it says these ships keep coming back every three years with this amount. And in today's money, this is about $1 billion. Come on, somebody. That's a pretty good side investment. How many would take that, right? You put a little money on the side and a billion dollars every three years. I think I would, I might do that on the side. 
But three, bill, three, sorry, three years, one billion dollars comes back to Solomon. This is the blessing that comes to King Solomon's realm because of King Hiram. And then in the next chapter, we come to our theme verse that because of all of this, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. And they would come to seek from him the wisdom God had put in his heart. So here he is at the pinnacle of his success. He's had this relationship with Hiram from the temple to the palace, now to trading, to riches, all these things. He's had this relationship correct. But there's this nagging prophecy that's from Deuteronomy. There's this, this kind of thing, this small little word from God that's been kind of, kind of sneaking around. And it says that when I brought them into the land, speaking to them in the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised To their ancestors. He's saying this to the children of Israel. And when they eat their fill and they thrive, basically talking about Solomon's day, how they thrive now. David was at war and Saul was at war and all this. But now that they're thriving, when they eat their fill, they'll turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. What would make them do that? What would cause them? What in the world would cause them after they've seen the blessings of God? Solomon's seen it more than anyone who ever came before him. He's seen the blessings and the riches and the wisdom of God. What would cause them to fall away? It's the same answer that caused them to be able to step into that vision God gave. It's because of relationships. Watch this out of the verse. It's because of relationships. Remember, the relationships you choose will determine the legacy that you leave. The relationships you choose, the people you're surrounding yourself with. And unfortunately, Solomon didn't listen. To this verse, King Solomon, watch this in verse two, it says, King Solomon loved many foreign women. That word love there means desire. And so besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. And watch this. And so Solomon marries from among. So the first thing that wrong relationships do when they creep into your life is they prey on your passion. Talking about Solomon loved, loved this and Solomon had this passion. And so the first thing that wrong relationships do All of us have unhealthy desires and you don't want to surround yourself with people that are trying to constantly pull you towards that sin. If you surround yourself with constantly pulling you towards that temptation, a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have people around you that are constantly saying, hey, why don't you come out with us? Hey, why don't you come do this with us? Why don't you hang out with us this weekend? And they're pulling you, pulling you, pulling you. They're preying on your passion. They're saying, well, it's okay, you know, just come hang out, we're going to have a lot of fun. And you know those relationships are not what you need in your life. You know they're preying on those unhealthy desires that you have, but they're saying, hey, it's not a big deal. And so verse 2, watch this, the Bible says, the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they'll turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon, watch this, insisted on loving them anyway. He insisted on loving them anyway. Solomon said, it's okay for me. I'm the king, and so it must be okay for me. In fact, we talked about this last month in our toxic series about this path towards sin. How the first thing that we say is, I want it. I, I want it. I, I know it's saying that I shouldn't do it. I know what God's word says, but I, I want it so badly. And look at all the great things I did for God. I built that temple, right? I've done all these amazing things for God. I deserve it. Look at all the things I've done for him. I I, I should deserve to do it. I know it's wrong, but I deserve to blow off a little steam. I deserve to go out to this. I deserve that. I'm a good man or a good woman. I'm a good Christian. It's okay. Got to take a little pressure off. I deserve it. And then the third one is I can handle it. It might take out everybody else, but I can handle it. Solomon said it might turn all of their hearts to foreign gods, but I can handle it. I'm strong enough. And unfortunately, it's not true. It's not true for our lives 
either. The Bible says, watch this in the next verse. The Bible says he ends up with 700 wives. How many of y'all know that's a recipe for disaster, everybody? All right. In case you're wondering today, one is enough. All right. We'll just, that's free. All right. That's the thing. Anyway, said 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. He ends up with this. In fact, they did turn. Sometimes it's like, you know what? God is God. He might actually know what he's talking about. They turn his heart away from the Lord. And in Solomon's old days, they turned his heart to worship other gods. Instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, that his father, David, had been. What happens in wrong relationships is they pull you from your purpose. They prey on your passions and then they pull you from your purpose. The relationships you choose determine the legacy that you leave. Solomon's purpose was to build the temple. Solomon's call, his legacy, was to create this place, this first permanent place on earth that the creator of heaven and earth could come and dwell, that his presence could be there. That people from all over the world could come and experience the presence and the power of God. Solomon had this legacy, and while he was successful in building the temple, his heart now begins to wander. He's finally built the permanent place where God's presence is going to dwell on the earth, and his heart begins to wander. And he begins to go off of the passions that he had. And all of a sudden he loses his purpose. And now in Solomon's heart, he probably thought he was fine. He probably thought he was fine because he didn't completely walk away from serving the Lord his God. He continued to make sacrifices at the temple. In fact, we learned this over the summer a couple of times, right? This word is called syncretism. Where the children of Israel, they would begin to add things to their worship of the one true God, Yahweh. Because they would say while they were still traveling, well, Yahweh is the God of the desert and he's the God of war and he's the God of battle. But now that we're in the promised land, we need to serve the gods of this land as well. The gods of the seasons and the gods of a blessing. And we need to bring them into our worship. And so they begin to add things to their worship of God. It's syncretism. They begin to say, we, we worship Yahweh also, but we add these other things. And they included them. Well, let me remind you that God said in Exodus, that God said, I am the, the, I am the God that led you out of the land of bondage. I am the God who frees you. And he says, do not worship any other God. And watch this, for the Lord whose name is jealous, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. That you don't worship any other God before me. And I wonder how many of us, while we still come to church and we still worship God, are entertaining other worships. How many of us are entertaining other little G gods in our lives? We begin to entertain other things that we add in. God says, I don't want anything else to have your passion. I don't want anything else to have your worship. Nothing else should have it. Only me. God is speaking to them and he's saying nothing else should vie for your attention. And then in 1 Kings, the Bible said, watch what Solomon does. He worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so Ashtoreth and Molech, these, these gods are detestable even in the way that they're worshipped. And so there's sin and there's impurity, even in the temple, there's, there's these, even in the way that they're worshipped, they're detestable. And so Solomon has gone from not only just detesting it, now he's embracing it. Now he's actually participating in it. And we see this problem because he's got a thousand wives, he's got issues, right? He's got areas of his life he won't let God even look at. He's got areas of his life he's keeping back. He's got sins. And it honestly is a generational sin for Solomon because his father struggled with it as well. So there's temple sins and then this God Molech where they take their firstborn and they sacrifice it so that Molech would bless their family. There's this, there's this beyond contemptible act happening in Israel. In fact, they were told that anyone who worshipped this way shouldn't be allowed to be inside the borders of the kingdom. That it shouldn't even be tolerated even in the physical landscape, in the geography. They should cast them outside. Solomon's gone from tolerating to embracing, to participating. He's gone from tolerating, his perspective has shifted. 
And I wonder in the modern day church, how many of us have entertained relationships and ideologies that are slowly shifting our values away from God's word. That we've gone from tolerating now to even embracing. That we've gone from tolerating to participating. We're waking up in a modern day culture where sin is no longer sin and the church is condoning things that the Bible calls sin, that the Bible clearly calls sin. And let me be clear with you, anybody is allowed to come to victory and worship. I don't care who you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you've done, everybody is welcome to come. But also on the same page is we will never veer from God's word in determining what is right and what is wrong. That we will always believe in the Bible, that this is the same yesterday, today and forever. That God's word doesn't change and we won't change the line just because culture does. We're not going to change the narrative just because culture shifts. And so God's word is what is happening. What's happening in today's culture is that there are congregations that are accepting and even tolerating and participating in things that God has called sin. We're allowing ideologies. We're allowing other pursuits to come in and to cloud our judgment. And we're allowing other things than the word of God. Let me tell you, nobody, I don't care how much you like how they speak. I don't care how much you like how they act. I don't care how much you respect them, how much you want them to to win this or how much you want that. Nobody speaks the truth except for God's word. There is no other standard that we set our lives by. There's no political party. There's no ideology. There's no national. There's nothing that we set our lives by except the word of God. That we are Christians and we follow our savior. And so as a church, we're going to believe in the unerring, infallible word of God that we're going to follow Jesus wherever he may lead us. No turning back. That's who we are as a church. That's who we are as a church. And yet it's happening in the culture. It changes our perspective. Watch this. For Solomon, it costs us because the wrong relationships will change your perspective. They'll pollute your perspective. They'll pollute it. They'll change how you look at the world. You have the wrong relationships constantly speaking into your life. They'll pollute the way you look. And it's happening today for Solomon. It costs him and it costs him dearly. These relationships with these women he has at the end of his life. Watch this. The Bible says the Lord was angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. You think about that. God appeared to him twice in his life. And still he turned his heart. What what would cause him to turn his heart away from an actual appearance of the Lord? It's the relationships, the relationships that he chose. And watch this, the consequence that God gives him. Now the Lord said, since you've not kept my covenant and disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. It cost him his legacy. The people you surround yourself with will either propel you and accelerate the call that God has on your life or they will pull you from it. They will tear you away from what God has called you to the vision and the calling and the legacy you're supposed to leave. They pull you from your purpose. They mess up your perspective. Oftentimes, they even keep you from following God. They keep you from it. It's a significant choice that we have to make. And it's not an easy one because the smartest man who ever lived messed it up. It's not an easy choice to make. Who are you allowing to have a voice in your life? Would you bow your heads with me today in prayer? God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Lord, one of the most important decisions we can make is who we allow to speak into our lives. So give us wisdom in choosing those relationships. And give us courage, God, to walk away from the wrong ones. Let's begin to evaluate, God, who is pushing us to follow you. Bring those relationships into our lives. Give us those partnerships, God. Show us who is supposed to accelerate the vision that you have for us. Lord, we pray, give us the wisdom. I wonder how many people at Victory today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, 
you know you're living beneath the lid of what God has for your life. That you know you don't have the relationships right. You know that you're living beneath the potential that he's placed in you. I want you to know before any other relationship, the one that you need to have right is between you and Jesus. The Bible says he sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that loves you unconditionally. He's the one that's calling you and waiting for you. He's the one that wants to have a relationship with you. And so today, before any of that, if you don't have that relationship with Jesus right, I want to help you to do that this morning. Because he's waiting for you. He wants you to call on his name. And you might have been in a thousand church services and you might be asking, well, what does Jesus have to do with me? Jesus is the son of God, perfect in every way. Who left his throne in heaven to come on earth and live as a man who died on the cross for our sins. Who shed his blood to wipe us clean. And then he was raised from the dead so that anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That's you today. You say, I want to make that relationship right with him. I want to answer that call. I want to be saved. You can do that by calling on his name. I want you to know this isn't about joining a church. This isn't about church membership or attendance. That's not what God cares about. What he cares about is a relationship with you. So you say, that's me. I want to have that. I want to pray with you today to get that relationship right. For any of the others, get that one right. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. This is about you and Jesus. We have a time of baptisms. That's your time to declare to the church the decision that you've made. But right now, I want you to make that decision. So that's you. We're going to pray this prayer with you. Come on, church. We're going to say it with them. Nobody prays alone. But you need to mean it in your heart. Come on, let's pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. For all my mistakes, I surrender to you. I accept what you did on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. One more prayer before we go today. God, help us in our relationships. Help us, Lord, in our relationship with you. Help us to grow. And help us to see the partnerships and relationships you're bringing into our life. We thank you, God, for the right relationships. We thank you for the calling you have on our life and how they're going to accelerate us into that vision. And we ask, Lord, let us be that for someone else as well. That we can begin as a church to affirm the call in each other's lives. That we can begin as a church to assist each other in living out the vision you have. Make us one, God. That we can accomplish all you have for us. That we don't look back with regret, but we know we gave it all for the kingdom of heaven. We thank you for all you're going to do. We give you the praise and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Can we give a praise for what God has done today?